0: Thank you for the offering. We're going to dismiss the children now for Children's Church and say a prayer for them and those who work with them today that the Lord would watch over them and that they would learn a lot about the Lord and about his love for them. If you have a Bible nearby, um, or however you read the scriptures, I'd encourage you to open to Psalm chapter 142, Psalm 142, or in week two of our new sermon series, Where Is God? And this morning, we're looking at the question, the cry of our hearts, where is God when I'm lonely? Where is God when I'm lonely? Reading from Psalm chapter 142, the psalmist said these words about his own experience. King David. I cry aloud to the Lord, and I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint; before him I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, there is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, Lord, and I say, you are my refuge my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. Let's pray. Lord, this is it's kind of a touchy thought to, ponder for us today. In a world where we're more connected than ever before, we can talk to more people at once than any time in history. We all, Lord, many of us can look back at times in our lives and feel like there was no one there for us, that we were lost in the crowd or that we've lost someone close to us and our heart is hurting and we feel like we've been left alone. I thank you, Lord, that you care about us in those moments. You don't brush off our feelings. You don't discount our emotions or how we feel about them. But, Lord, you speak to us through the word. And I pray this morning that as we discuss this chapter together, this thought of being alone, that you would just help us, Lord, to navigate life with a healthy scriptural balance and understanding of how to talk to you about it. And we'll thank you and praise you in your wonderful name. Amen. What is loneliness? If I could ask for a definition, it would be interesting to know how you and I would define it differently. But this morning, I think that it would be good for us to start off with realizing that loneliness is not just a fleeting emotion that comes for an hour here and leaves for an hour there. Um, it's something that kind of hovers over us like a fog. If it's something that lasts, it's more like a fog, like a chronic aching in our daily life that affects our our, our view of ourselves, It affects our view of God and of the world around us. I found a study this week by um, a health insurance provider, finding that loneliness is much more widespread in America than I would have imagined it to be, with nearly 15, 50%, 50% of the people responding to their survey saying that they feel left alone or left out always or some of the time. 54% of their survey respondents said they always or sometimes feel like no one really knows them well at all. And 56 reported they sometimes or always felt like people around them are not necessarily with them. And almost half of the people said they lack companionship, that their relationships aren't very meaningful, and that they feel isolated from others. And I read that survey this week in preparation for this message, and I thought, well, Lord, if that survey is accurate across the United States, then, then at this very moment there might be half of my congregation who feels like they don't have a meaningful relationship with people around them. It might feel that they don't feel very connected with people that they see at least once a week, that they don't feel connected in their, in their families and in their careers and in their place of employment. Or it might just feel because of a tragedy in their life that there's no one around them anymore. You've had a loved one die or a friendship has been broken. And it just feels like you're trapped in this fog of feeling like there's no one can understand you. No one can touch that place in your heart or in your journey that you're in right now, and you just feel like you're literally all alone, though you may be surrounded like this morning by a crowd. We've all had this place in time in our life where we feel like we're lost, like we're trapped. In Psalm chapter 142, we read a story of a man we know very well by the name of David. And David is a man who's, at this point in the story, best that scholars can tell, is running for his life. King Saul has it out for him, and it's either flee or die. And so he, in this story, literally writes this psalm from a cave. He's trapped. He's alone. He's lost. There feels like there's no hope, and so he writes this amazing passage, or at least we read about his experience in the cave in this chapter this morning. Have you ever, many, been in a cave? Uh, Maybe half of you. I'm glad you all made it out. That's really good for me. Um, If you left someone in there and you haven't seen them in a long time, I feel sorry for them. But I remember when we lived in Ohio, um, this is a number of years ago now, Hannah and I got the chance to go see an Oregon Ducks game in Virginia. And on the way, we had some time. And so we stopped in West Virginia. I think it was the largest cave in West Virginia. And uh, we, we paid the entrance fee. I don't know why you have to pay to get into a cave. But anyways, you have to pay to do almost anything anymore. And so we went down in this cave, and, and the sights in there were just amazing. And, uh, but I remember as we were walking through it part way there was this hole up in the, in the top of the cave. And they said at one time, that was the only way to get in or out, and just this little tiny ray of light that that you could see through there. And I thought, wow, sometimes isn't that true for you and I? We're stuck in the darkness. We feel all alone, and there's always a way out. There's always a little bit of light showing, but are we able to see it? Are we able to sense it? Are we alert and aware to the light that God is shining down even in the middle of our dark place? And I pray this morning that if we feel like we're trapped, like David was in this cave, that we can sense the light that God is trying to shine into our lives. Reading about caves this week, there was a um, show put out by um, Planet Earth. It was a DVD, and they found a cave. It didn't say where, um, but at the bottom of this cave, the only entrance there, there was, at the time of the making of the movie, there was a pile of um, bat dung that was 300 feet tall. And you, the only way to enter that cave was to land on top of that pile And then literally everywhere you went was cockroaches, giant cockroaches. And I don't know how much they paid those people to go into that cave, but it probably wasn't enough. I don't know what kind of cave that David was in. All we know is that he literally ran to the darkest place that he could find to try to get away from this man who was hunting his life. And he found himself trapped there, alone. I don't know that this was what David has envisioned when God came to him as a teenager and said, you are going to be the king of Israel. You are going to be my guy. You are going to be the one who delivers us. And upon you, I'm literally going to build the foundation of my creation in the human world from your seed onward. I don't think he envisioned himself hiding for his life alone, trapped in the darkness, cold and damp, when God came to him with this amazing vision. But the fact of the matter was, that's how he felt. In light of all of God's promises, in light of all that God had done for him, he was living in the darkness of this place. Kings don't live in the darkness. Kings don't live in caves with bats and insects and dampness, they live in palaces. And you and I know that God has planned for us to live a life of hope and joy and peace, the spiritual palace of his presence, but there are times in our lives where we just feel like we're trapped in that cave. Charles Spurgeon wrote about caves. He said, they are effective classrooms in the school of faith and of prayer. He reflected in one of his sermons at the Metropolitan Tabernacle Pulpit that David prayed when he was in the cave in the darkness. But when he's in the palace, he fell into temptation with Bathsheba, Bathsheba and sinned. And so he went on to write in his sermon, Caves have heard our greatest prayers. So David, as a young man waiting to be crowned king, found out that class for him met in a cave. And so for a few minutes this morning, I want the Lord to invite us into our own cave. If, we're, if that's where we're at today, our first reaction is just to run. Run anywhere, to try to get out. When we were in the cave that day, uh, I followed every sign. I did not say, "Oh, I don't believe that sign is pointing the right way." I did exactly what I needed to do in order so that we got out at the other side, OK. And that's what you and I want is to follow the signs, to follow the directions of the Lord in our life. But sometimes we just need to be still and silent in that place and listen to what he has to say to us in those moments. So this morning, for a few minutes together, I want to listen to four things that David um, said to God, four experiences that he had in this place, in these moments, and then maybe ask the Lord how we can learn from that as we have a light conversation with him but before I get into those there's something that I saw over and over again in this passage and that David repeated he said I cry aloud I make supplication I pour out my complaint I declare my trouble and over and over again it was it was David's faith that he, that drew him out it wasn't his parents faith it wasn't his pastor's faith It wasn't the preacher on TV's faith. It wasn't a friend's faith or a grandparent's faith. It was his own faith that led him to cry out to God. And sometimes we want to depend on someone else's faith for our strength. And David said, God, this is between you and I and you and I only. And we need the friendship and the love of people around us. But as a young man, he knew that it was going to be about his relationship and his conversation with God that would lead him out of this place and into the place that God wanted him to be. So quickly this morning, there are four things that David talks about in this psalm. And the first one you'll see on the screen was his plight. He just simply shares his plight. He was articulate about what was going on. And he says in verse 3 and part of 4, The enemy has trapped me, and I am lonely, with no one to care for my soul. In verse 7 he says, I feel like I am trapped in a prison that I cannot get out of. And so just simply, David says, I'm here in this dark, damp, scary place alone, and I don't know the next shadow that passes through their entrance if it's gonna be the one who ends my life or not. He spent literally every second and every moment in that cave in fear. That was his plight. In 1 Samuel chapter 22, it tells us another story about David being in a cave, and many scholars believe that in, psalm, in this psalm, you're also talking about the same in First Samuel chapter 22. And, but it, it says in that passage that he escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's household heard of it, they all went down to him. So he escapes, gets away from Saul, goes in the cave and his family and hears about it. And so this is the crowd that joins him. His, some of his family comes and Everyone who was in distress came to him. Everyone who was in debt came to him. Everyone who was discontented gathered around him, and he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. So if this is the same experience, and we're not confident if it is, this is what David says regardless. He says, look to the right and see there is no one who regards me. There's no one who cares for my soul. And if these 400 people were there with him, not a single one of them, David felt gave one ounce of concern about his own need. So he may not have been alone physically. There may have been a crowd all of around him, but emotionally he felt like there was no one with him. Have you ever been there? Surrounded by a crowd of people who have come to be at your side. You know, we talked last Sunday at the beginning of this this series about Job. Job had everything, and then Job had nothing except a wife who tried to get him to curse God and die, so his best friends show up. And even in that place, he felt like he was so alone. But in David's case, I'm not sure it would have been a greater problem for him uh, to be alone with literally no one there for him or to be surrounded by people who, who depended on him for everything. He had to lead them and he had to guide them. And so in the midst of his fear, in the midst of his trials, God sent him more. God sent him people that needed him. And I thought that was interesting that God would choose to allow that to happen or even cause that to happen, to send those people, maybe to wake him out of the fog, maybe to realize that he still had some, a purpose to still in even that dark place he had to lead. But regardless of what the circumstance was, he felt completely alone. And I thought how that true that is for someone who's discouraged, someone who's depressed, someone who feels trapped, as they may be surrounded by people who love them and care for them, but they don't feel like it. They literally feel like there's no one who cares one ounce about their life. That was David's plight. He was just in this place despite all the reality of his circumstances, whatever they were, he felt like there was no one there. And I just want to ask you this morning, have you ever felt that way in your own life? You know the people in your church love you. You know you have family who loves you. Yet in the still in the place where you are today, the corner of the cave that you've been backed up into, you feel like no one cares one ounce for who you are. I'm so grateful that David was able to tell God about this. His plight, he made known to the Lord about everything that he felt and everything that he was going through. He felt like he was completely alone. Secondly, this morning, we see David's plea. We see his plea. It literally was a prayer. He says in verses one through three, help me, Lord, because you know my path. You know where I am. You know that I'm trapped. You know that there's no way out, and so he cries out to God for help. Matthew Henry in his commentary said, There is no cave so deep or so dark, but we can always send up our prayers and allow our souls to be in prayer to God. you remember a time in your life where it just felt like your circumstances so overwhelmed you? They pressed so hard down upon you that it just felt like there's no possible way to lift even your eyes to God. Like there wasn't anywhere in your heart that could even pray to him. There just was nothing there except this raw emotion and this raw feeling of being trapped in your and over and over again in the Psalms, you read about this man who was running and running and running for his life. Time after time after time, he just thought this moment could be his last. And as long as he had breath, he made one decision that he repeated over and over again is that he cried out to God in prayer. He never let his feelings of being abandoned, his feelings of that his life may soon be over, keep him from crying out to God. And I love that principle in David's life that nothing was going to keep him from crying out to God. You can't miss the intensity of what he's saying. He says, I cry aloud with my voice to the Lord. I make my prayer, I make my supplication to the Lord, and I pour out my complaint before him. I cried out to you, O Lord, give here to my cry, for I am brought very low, and deliver me, for they are too strong for me. Over and over again, David repeats this theme: that I cannot do this on my own. There is no way out of this, God, unless you come and you save me. Because David was in a very desperate situation. I don't know how many times in our lives where we feel that desperate, where we just feel like we have to have a deliverer because we live in a nation where we we do it on our own. We go to the fast food place and we get it our way. We do whatever we need to do and we make it happen on our own. I love this quote by Jim Elliott. It's kind of intense, um, but I love this. He wrote this in his journal. He said, I lack the fervency, vitality of my life in prayer, which I long for. I know that many consider it fanaticism when they hear anything which does not conform to the conventional, sleep-inducing eulogies that so often rise in our churches. But I know that these same people can acquiescently tolerate sin in their lives in the church without so much as tilting one hair on their eyebrows. Cold prayers like cold suitors are seldom effective in their aims. And David says, I pour my complaint out before him. I lay my heart bare before the Lord. And we shared this last Sunday that it is one of the, one of the hidden disciplines in the church. For many of us, this is one of the places that we just cannot allow our heart. We cannot allow our soul to go because, I don't know, we may be afraid that God won't approve. You know, we have to be respectful, and we have to honor him, and we do. And I'm going to share more about that in a minute. But we have to, you know, we, we want to come to our time to pray with God with everything collected. We want to have it figured out, exactly how we're going to pray and exactly how we're going to say it. I've had people who have come to me and said, well, pastor, I would never be able to pray in front of the church because I'm not prepared. And I can get that they don't want to come up here and stumble over their words. But sometimes God is just yearning for us just to come to him raw and real, come to him with how we're doing and how we're feeling. And David didn't come and say, you know, uh, I think I'm gonna find a way out of this. I can figure this out, God, on my own. Just give me a few minutes and then I'll get back with you. He's like, help, I'm trapped, I'm done, I'm doomed. And there's no one here who understands that except God, you. I was reading a sermon this week about a pastor who told his people that, you, that, that David gave us permission in this passage to chew God out just to tell him how mad we are at him for messing things up, tell him how mad we are that he let us down, telling God how upset we were about the situations that we have in our life. And I don't read the Psalms that way because he still addresses him as Lord, God, friend. Uh, And do you address a father or a mother with that kind of condescension and get away with it? No, no. There's corrective action taken because there has to be love and respect and submission, even when the heart is crying out. And I can remember a, a couple of times, probably too many times, when life has been so busy. And one of my kids will come to me and say, "Dad, you, you, um, Levi really likes it when I'm a watchdog at his school, and I just get a badge and I can go anywhere I want and be there with the recess and watch over the kids and and help people move from place to place because the building's all locked up and He'll come to me after a while, and he said, Dad, it's been too long since you've been a watchdog. You told me that this week you would do it. And if he comes to me like that and says it, then my heart hurts, and I feel sorry. I feel bad that I haven't taken the time to do that. Um, And so I respond to that kind of cry with a heart of love and a heart that wants to meet him where he's at. The temptation for us sometimes is to come and accuse God of doing all these things against us when all the time he's on our side. And we have to have that kind of level of respect and appreciation for him even when we're hurting, even when we're sad, and even when we're lonely. God never wrongs us, but he longs to help us to make things right as we trust and we follow him. And so David admits in this passage that his spirit is literally overwhelmed within him and there's no way out. And I hope this morning that in your life you know there's a way out. There's always a way. I was talking with Buzz before the service. He said, I should put this in my sermon, so here we go. (laughs) In 1 Corinthians, the Bible tells us that there is no temptation that is greater. But in every moment, every temptation, God provides a way of escape. And so many times in our caves, in our moments that we feel trapped, We feel like we'll never get our way out on our own, and that's exactly how David feels. I cannot win this. I cannot do this. I cannot survive. I cannot face this situation or this path that you've led me on on my own. And he's right, isn't he? Not one of us can face the path or the cave or the place where God has us right now on our own. I need you, Lord, to deliver me from this prison. I need you to rescue me. I need you to save me. And that realization that we do not have the strength on our own to do this is an important place for us to arrive in our own life. So we cry out to God because of all that he is. Jonathan Edwards had these words to say. He said, it is manifest we are not appointed in this duty of prayer to declare God's perfections. His majesty, holiness, goodness, and all sufficiency our own meanness, emptiness, dependence, and unworthiness, our wants and desires, in order to inform God of all these things, or to incline his heart and prevail with him to be willing to show us mercy, we say all of those things to God to affect our own hearts with the things we express, and so to prepare us to receive the answer to our prayers. It always amazes me when I read quotes like that because it brings me back to the realization that prayer is as much preparation of my heart for the future as it is God's. In fact, it's probably more that it's preparation for my own heart than for God's. So David in this passage talks about appealing to the kindness of the Lord, literally to his face. And he wanted to see the Lord face to face. So he talks about his plight and he talks about his plea. Thirdly, this morning, he also talks about his portion. He didn't dwell on the entire prayer that he was trapped, that there was no way out. There is always a perspective to be seen in our place of life. And so many times in our own emotions, and our own situations, it's easier for us to be trapped in our perspective of our loneliness. Or our sadness, or our grief, or our pain. And we don't see that there is a godly perspective around us. And so David's perspective, David's portion, comes out in these words in verse 5 and 6. He says, I cry out to the Lord, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Give heed to my cry, for I am brought very low. It's interesting that David didn't say, This cave is my refuge. He said, God is my refuge. God is the place that I run to to hide. He will be the one, the one to deliver me. I love this quote from Jonathan Edwards' sermon. He preached where he says these words, God is the highest good of the reasonable creature, and the enjoyment of him is only the only happiness with which our souls can be truly satisfied. To go to heaven, to fully enjoy God, is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children, or the company of earthly friends are all but shadows. They are but the enjoyment of God as substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. Therefore, it becomes us to spend this life only as a journey towards heaven, as it becomes us to make the seeking of our highest end and proper good the work of our whole life, to which we subordinate all other, all other concerns of life. Why should we labor for or set our hearts on anything else but that which is our proper end and our truest happiness? And no matter what was happening in David's life, that's what he was able to do, set his eyes on God, his truest happiness because he knows that he might get out of this cave just to run into another one. He might realize just to get out of this part of the journey that's dark and realize that somewhere down the road there's going to be another bump. And that it's not the seeking of the changing of our circumstances that will bring us happiness. It is not deliverance from this cave or the dark place or the moment in our life that we feel like we cannot get out of. It is turning our eyes on God. It is focusing our attention on the one who will never die. It was changing our perspective from the one that keeps us down and depressed and dark and lonely and realizing that God has been there the whole time. He's always going to be there and we have to open ourselves up to this different kind of perspective. And I love that David, with God's help, was able to do that in his own heart and in his own life because despite the fact that he had much more on his plate than you and I do. I mean, any moment King Saul could come around the corner and it would be over. For most of us, things aren't that immediate. The end isn't quite as near as we think. But despite the urgency of the moment, David was able to focus on the one who would always be there for him. And the portion that you and I have is a God who gave his only son. in order that we might know that he was there for us in the moment where we feel like no one else could be. So fourth and lastly this morning, David shares his prospect. I love this, this turn, this journey that David has. He, he's very real with God with where he's at. I'm done, I'm trapped, I'm alone. There's no one here that cares about me. So Lord, I'm crying out to you in the place that I'm at for help. I need you. You've got to be the one to deliver me because I cannot escape this. I cannot do this on my own. Lord, you are the one who can. You're my portion. You're the one who is to always be there for me. And so his prospect, he, he, he turns a corner in this, in this cave, even though he hasn't got out of it yet. He still in his heart turns a corner from all that is going wrong with him all of his own circumstances, all of his own emotions, everything that he's going through. And if you've ever been in this moment in your own life where it just feels like life is literally sucking the air out of you, it is so hard to see anything else but the rawness of you and where you are. But I love that God brings David to a place of seeing beyond that. And he has this prospect, and he says, so that the Lord will deliver me so I may give thanks to him in the company of the righteous. from a heart crying for deliverance and loneliness and despair to a heart that is yearning to get into a place of corporate worship so that others can hear about how God met him in his plight and he heard his plea and he will always be his portion and that we can share in that together. And David had a freedom in his heart to just, to just lay it all out there. I wonder if we had a bunch of Davids in our church who just came to worship and laid it all out there, what it would be like. But there was something in, in this place. This, there was like, it was just like God turned a page in his heart from I just got to get out of here. I just want to survive this. I am terribly alone to Lord, deliver me so that others can hear of how much you love me. Deliver me so that others can know that you are God. Deliver me not so that I can be happy again. Deliver me not so I can just get out of this cave. Deliver me so that others will know the power of the righteous almighty God so that I can go and praise you for the rest of my life. There's another psalm written from a cave and these were David's words from there. Be exalted above the heavens, O God, and let your glory be above all the earth. And no matter what was going on in David's life, he found the way to cry out to God in his moment of need. And so those were just four quick ways for us to to find God in our loneliness. Because we're all gonna be there at some point or another because of a loss of a spouse or the betrayal of a friend or the emotions that we find ourselves in the middle of, the trials that we're facing in our life. Even though we're surrounded by a crowd, even though people have come to us and let them know that they're praying for us and have given us a hug in the past that may be feeling in the moment that we're in now that they're not not here now. (laughs) I'm here in this alone. And so David decides, instead of keeping all of this, I guess might be the best thing for us to take from this, is David does not hold all this in. And as a guy, I can really appreciate that because that's normally my modus operandi. Whatever's going on in my life is my life, and either I'm gonna fix it or handle it or not. And I don't wanna let anyone else in. And I love how David just just pours out his heart. He just lets it all out there, and he said, this is where I'm at, this is how I feel, but I believe in the God who's delivering me, and someday you and I are gonna hear about how God delivered so my encouragement for you is in that place of loneliness that God is there. He does want to have a conversation with you. And so David said very personal his personal pronouns will I will cry out. I will talk to the Lord. I will have this conversation with you. I will long to praise you in the courts and others may hear your name. And we have to make that decision, don't we? Don't we? That I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised. I will cry out in the midst of my trials and let the Lord know how I'm feeling, how I'm doing, how this is going for me. He already knows it, but he longs to hear it. We need to be able to express that to God. If you can't tell it to God, who can you tell it to? Really, I mean, if you can't describe what you're feeling to the God who created you, then how can you really have another kind of relationship that will be that fulfilling and meaningful? God just wants to have a conversation with us. So where is God when we're lonely? I'd say this morning, he's waiting. He's waiting in the cave. He's waiting on the bus. He's waiting in your room. He's waiting near your bed. He's waiting at the grocery store. He's waiting at school. He's waiting wherever you may find yourself for us to begin that conversation, to dialogue with God about what's going on. And here's where the trick is for you and I or the trouble or the opportunity is making that decision to begin that conversation. David could have decided in that cave to turn to the back, to turn to the place where there was the most darkness and just say, I'm doomed and I'm done for and I don't even wanna see him coming when he comes to end it all. And sometimes we find ourselves that discouraged and that lonely and that depressed that there is no, we don't even want to think about getting out. We just want it just, just to end it all. And all the while, God is just waiting for us to begin that conversation with him. And this morning, I would encourage each one of us here this morning that if, if it just feels like God is so far out there, he's not anywhere near you, just remind you that he is very near, very close And he wants to hear your heart. He wants to hear how you're feeling about where you are. But he doesn't want you to stay there. He wants to remind you that you are his portion and that he has a purpose in all of this so that others would hear of his love for you. Let's all stand and we'll close in a word of prayer. Lord, if we're honest with ourselves and with you this morning, there are times in the Christian life where it just feels like you weren't there. We know in our back of our mind or our spirit that you are, but our emotions really battle with feeling like God isn't fixing anything. God isn't changing anything. We don't see any light on the horizon. There's no end or other entrance or exit to the cave that we're in. We're just there, and it may never end. And I just pray, Lord, that somewhere in our journey, that, that ray of light would come in, that truth, that word of the Lord, reminder that he's just longing for a conversation. The Bible says that Jesus stands at the door of our heart and knocks. And if we'll open, he will come into us. I pray, Lord, this morning that as we, as we ponder our own loneliness, that we would hear you knocking, that whisper of God in our heart saying, let me in and begin to have a conversation about where we are, who you are, and where you want us to go from here. Lord, I thank you that you are a loving God. We could read Psalm 136 and be reminded over and over and over again, of a God whose mercies endure forever. And Lord, may your mercies continue to be poured out in our life as we find out where you are in our trialing moments. We thank you, Lord, for your love and ask that you go with us this day in Jesus' name.